Good morning and welcome back. This is Brad Furlan, your host, Vermont Viewpoint, here at WDEV in historic Waterbury, Vermont. Uh, nice drive in this morning. It was rain and a little bit foggy, but it wasn't uh, heavy snow like some parts of Vermont and power outages and all that. So stay safe out there. And uh, we are... Um, our next segment is with our good friend Elliot Greenblatt with AARP. And I want to say at the onset of the show, if, if you've got questions uh, about fraud or anything that you've been seeing in your world, uh, give us a call during this uh, half-hour segment at 802-244-1777. Elliot uh, has the answers. And, Elliot, I want to welcome you to the show. Good morning to you. I, I I kind of wish I had all the answers, but you know, this is a, a scene that changes on an hourly basis. So keeping up with it is not exactly the easiest task. Well, we've been doing this for about a year, Elliot, and I'm astounded by every every month you send me sort of new things that are happening. I'm going, oh my God, there's just no end to this. That's what you're saying. Yeah, I, you know, it, as I said, it's a, a changing scene, but there are some things that, you know, are pretty steady. And one of them is what I would call the number one area of fraud uh, anywhere in the world, and that's identity theft. Well, oh, tell us more. Uh, who's at risk for this? Well, uh, identity theft basically... Uh, is something that I would call a non-discriminatory crime. Uh, it doesn't matter what your age is. You can be uh, 95 or be nine days old. It doesn't matter. Criminals are out to get your identity to then use it to commit crimes. And technically, uh, the younger the victim, the better, because it means that the criminal has more time to work on that particular person. Uh, identity theft, it's a process of collecting information and then using it. And it comes out of a, a few very basic things. One of them that we see happening all the time is compromising the data where either willfully or uh, purposely criminals get their hands on information about you and then use that information. Uh, it also happens when we use our own data that we provide it to different people. Some of them we know who they are. Other cases we don't know who they are, but we're giving them free access to whatever they want. And then obviously one that people have heard of is phishing, where criminals attempt to use social media to get you to give them they're the information that uh, basically they want to use. Tell us a little bit more about that. I know on Facebook you see these quizzes that uh, they want to know your favorite everything. Is that part of the phishing process? How do we determine what's legitimate and what's not? Well, that is part of the phishing process because we kind of forget that computers are out there and they're collecting data. And every little bit of data that can be hacked and that can be added to the pile ends up giving a better picture or a profile of you as the individual. 
So when you fill out these little things that you think are very innocent, like what's your favorite music, what's your favorite color, uh, where's your favorite place to go on a vacation, all of that becomes part of that picture with the other information that's being collected. So, yeah, uh, and, you know, there's one, one major goal here as far as the criminal is concerned, and that's to get money. And it's either to get money directly from you by having you pay uh, a bill that you didn't incur or getting your data to then use that to get money. So how does um, knowing my favorite color and then I eat three pieces of apple pie at Thanksgiving, what – how does that equate to criminal activity? Well, if we take that little bit of innocent information and then uh, we add to that things like your address, your phone number, your email address, then you can end up being targeted by a criminal with fake advertising and, in your case, for apple pie. Mm-hmm. And you see this great opportunity. Wow, you know, I can get this great apple pie for almost nothing. And so now you provide the uh, criminal with a credit card number. And that becomes another piece of your profile. So, uh, as I said, they, they seem to be very uh, innocent things. But for the purpose of social engineering, the criminal is able to make a lot of headway about you and then use your information to target you. And then in addition, can you help us with where where do they take my identity as well? What what are they doing with it in the in the real world that I don't even know about? Okay, in the real world, they're using your identity for a variety of ways to uh, commit theft. And that could be something such as taking your medical insurance account number and filing false claims and then collecting on them. Because most people don't even bother to look at their uh, monthly statements from their insurance companies or from Medicare, then, uh, you know, the criminal kind of has a free shot at it and they can collect money using that technique. So uh, they're looking at any way they can make money off you and it doesn't have to be direct theft you know it's one thing to to ask you for a credit card number and the details on your credit card and then make a claim on your credit card but you're going to see that as far as your medical insurance information you may never even see it and not know that that's happened this sounds incredibly sophisticated to me to to for the criminal world to have such high technology is is it high technology is this a sort of brilliant or is it or is it just so easy to do that it's it's rampant it's rampant and it's a combination of high tech and just simple phone calls uh or emails we tend to respond to phone calls the phone rings many of us were hardwired pick up the phone and answer it and be polite. And if somebody's on the line and saying, I'm representing your, uh, let's say, your television service, and we just want to confirm your account, could you please provide what your ID and password are? 
that's going to give them access to more information on you. So it, it's very simple. It's also quite sophisticated because I'm sure everybody's heard about artificial intelligence and the ability to take information and collect it using artificial intelligence is pretty basic now. Um, you know, the collection of personal information is something that we have very little control over in many places. We also have, in many places, very clear control over it. What are some of the things that we don't have control over? Okay. Uh, publicly accessible information. For example, if you're a property owner in Vermont, basically anywhere else in the United States, your property tax information is public knowledge. So anybody can go online, go to the town website, see if you own property, find out what the value of the property is, get a description of your house, and then use that as a way to try and extort you or to take money from you, claiming that they're uh, trying to help you out with your house. Things like your uh, if you have a, a lien on property, if you have a mortgage, those are all publicly accessible pieces of information. So that's one way, uh, and we can't control that. Uh, data brokers, these are legit businesses, and in Vermont they have to be registered. And what they do is collect information just the same way the criminals do, and then they either give it or sell it. And usually they sell it to anybody interested in obtaining that information. So uh, these companies will advertise, and if you want to search on an individual, you can do that, and then for a fee, they will provide you with that info. And then the third way, basically data breaches, where somebody's able to hack into a computer and extract information. Uh, data breaches happen every day, and they could be as many as a million people or two million or ten million at a time. When Yahoo had a breach a few years back, it was actually 3 billion accounts worldwide. So those are things we can't control. What we can control is a very limited number of things, but they're very important things involved. Okay, we're talking with uh, Elliot Greenblatt, AARP. Uh, every day, every minute, uh, calls are coming on our phones, things are co- happening on our computer. Um, Elliot uh, definitely is um, highlighting these things and how to be cautious about it. Elliot, I want to return to what we can control, but before we do that, could you uh, uh, let our listeners know how they can get questions to you and, and, and how to call a helpline as well? Oh, certainly. Uh, my The best way to contact me is by email, and that would be egreenblot, that's E-G-R-E-E-N-B-L-O-T-T, at aarp.org. Uh, if you have uh, specific issues and you want some detailed help, uh, you can also go to the AARP helpline, and that's 877-908. And uh, there's a set of trained volunteers who will be able to address basically any question that you have. 
And if you have a fraud question right now, give us a call at 802-244-1777. Getting back to what we can control, what what are you advising people to look at, Elliot? Well, number one is beware of what you post in social media. Uh, I took a look at my Facebook page, and it was amazing what people could see that I had willfully posted. Uh, things like where I went to college, uh, what my favorite music is, a variety of uh, other personal likes and dislikes. And so I've adjusted my web, my uh, Facebook page so I don't share that information. We have to consider that you know social media is now part of our lives, and we like to communicate with people. And when you put something up on social media about health conditions, you're providing somebody out there you don't even know the ability to know what your health conditions are. And they can combine that information with anything else that they have that they've collected other ways. And now they can call you and say, uh, this is so-and-so from Medicare or from your health insurance company, and uh, we want to ask you some questions about them and use that condition that you posted in social media. So be aware of it. Um, another thing is personal data sharing. And this is happening uh, on a daily basis with almost everything we do. Uh, for example, you buy a new, uh, as I did, uh, a new display for my computer. And it came with a warranty card. It asked questions like my age, uh, my preferences for vacation, things. You don't need to fill out a warranty card. That's something that's going to provide the company with information about you that they can then turn around and sell. So uh, why, for instance, Dell needs to know uh, where I want to go for vacation, it doesn't need to. And you don't need to fill out the warranty. Finally, you know, Vermont has what's called the data broker law, which kind of, is kind of unique. And what it does is it requires data brokers, people who legitimately collect and then sell your information, have to be registered in Vermont. And it also limits what they can use that data for and how they can share that data. Uh, we're one of the few states that actually has a data broker law that is very effective. So those are things that we can control. And most importantly, don't share information that you don't need to share. Uh, We basically set ourselves up to become victims when we do that. So on the social media front, Facebook obviously is one of the big ones. There are settings in Facebook where you uh, supposedly can protect your privacy, meaning only friends can see what you post. Is that a truth or not? It, it's uh, sort of a truth, but the problem is people make friends, in quotes, uh, who they, they don't even know. Mm-hmm. And you may remember a few years ago there was this kind of game that people were playing where uh, they try and get as many so-called friends as they could, and then they'd compare. you you go into a social setting and say, well, on my Facebook account, I've got a 1,000 friends. And somebody else would say, well, I have 1,500. 
we don't know a thousand people. And the fact that we're allowing a thousand people to access our account, or 500, or even 50, and many of them are not people we know, that's opening our information to somebody we don't know who can then use it or sell it or give someone else access. So, um, yeah, the social media is uh, a big hole as far as where uh, data can go and then be accessed. Mm-hmm. We need to be very careful with it. So one of the uh, things I'm hearing here is uh, take a look at your friend list and purge maybe a little bit uh, if you don't know the person. Yeah. Uh, You're not going to actually lose any friends by doing that. Yeah. Uh, But you you may make yourself a lot safer. Good good advice, Elliot. Um, What other recommended actions do you have for our listeners? Well, be very good good at, uh, at creating passwords or passphrases. Uh, they don't have to be overly complex because what we know about passwords is the longer the password, the less uh, it's going to be hacked. Uh, it's not a matter of whether you use a lot of symbols or a lot of numbers and do something crazy, but uh, a, an eight-character password can typically be broken by a computer in a matter of minutes. A 15-character password, it will take hours. And that's your safety. The other thing you can do is, where possible, use multi-factor authentication. Now, that's where you may have an account with somebody, and in order to access the account, you go online and you enter a password and an ID. And then you get a message on your cell phone with another code. That's pretty much the, the best safety we have today as far as online access. You can get credit freezes. That locks your credit report so somebody can't somehow get into your credit report by faking an identity and then using your credit report information. Uh, you can always monitor financial accounts and get credit reports. And you don't have to wait till the end of the month. It's safe to go online and look at an account that's online, credit card account, investment account. You want to be sure that your devices have the most up-to-date software on them. And if you have malware software, which I urge people to get, make sure it's the current version. Having last year's software doesn't protect you from this year's crimes. And VPN software, that's a virtual private network. It kind of locks your communications on your computer or on your cell phone. Uh, Best thing to do. The hardest recommendation is change your behavior. Be very careful about what you're posting, what you're sharing. You get that phone call. uh, I hate to say it, but be skeptical. That's your safety measure. And if you follow those little bits of advice, you're going to be providing yourself with the greatest amount of safety as opposed to just letting things happen. And you had advised us in the past that just don't answer your phone. The the local Vermont numbers and the towns are listed, but if you don't know the call, don't answer. Is that right? That's right. In fact, I have a a cell phone with a Massachusetts uh, 
area code. And I know very few people in that section of Massachusetts. So when I get a call from them and it says uh, 413, it's likely not somebody that I know and it will be a criminal call. And as you said, you, you have to be very careful with even calls that say it's coming from 802. Uh, spoofing telephone numbers is not a difficult process. Anybody can do that, by the way, if you have Skype. So uh, you, you want to be very careful about answering the phone. And if you don't know that number, don't recognize it, don't answer it. If the person wants to speak to you, they'll leave a message. And uh, sometimes the the actual caller ID is helpful. It says likely spam. Who right. is they're, that? They're getting much better. And, in fact, uh, Senator Gillibrand from uh, New York State is working on some legislation that's going to provide more safety because a lot of these calls are being handled by third-party companies in the U.S. that are charging the criminals uh, for access to our phone network. So uh, there'll be new legislation coming up very soon if Congress can get its act together and uh, pass it. We only have a little bit of time, but I want to quickly get Forbes on from uh, Corinth uh, to join. Uh, welcome to the show, Forbes, if you've got a quick question. Uh, yes, very quick. One of the most sophisticated ones I've seen through email is Publishers Clearinghouse. Uh, letting uh, you know that you won a, a massive amount of money and everything else. They even have uh, ID codes and uh, badges to, uh, uh, you know, show that they are actually from them. How does that uh, continue and happen, especially with Publishers Clearinghouse? Well, PCH does not call you, does not email you when you win the big prize. PCH comes to your door. And they will have proper identification. So uh, anytime you win big bucks and you're notified by email, uh, not likely to be true. And the best way to find out, look at the address of the sender. And if the address of the sender says something at Gmail, you know that Publishers Clearinghouse does not use Gmail. They use their own. We've been talking this morning. Thanks, Forbes. That's a great question. And I've been harassed by public, uh, public clearinghouse or whatever. And, uh, it's very laborious. Um, talking with Elliot Greenblatt. We're running out of time. Um, Elliot, very quickly, can, um, how do they, uh, how do they reach you? Again, my uh, email is egreenblatt. That's E-G-R-E-E-N-B-L-O-T-T at org. Wonderful. Thank you so much for everything you do for our listeners and uh, to to bring us around. It's Elliot Greenblatt with AARP, and we'll talk with you next month, Elliot. Okay, and we'll be dealing with uh, New Year's resolutions. Good morning and welcome back. This is Brad Furlan, your uh, host on Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV. Usually your Monday host, but I'll be doing some Thursdays through December and into uh, January, and I look forward to that. I've got some great guests uh, coming up, and uh, one of my great guests coming up right now is uh, Nick Longo, who is the Director of Aviation at the Patrick Leahy Burlington International Airport. Welcome, Nick. 
Good morning, Brad. It's always so great to be with you. Well, it's great to have you. I, you must, your business card must be about eight feet long just to put your <laughs> name and position it, it on is, it. It is. New, yeah, new design, new name, new, uh, <laughs> new, all sorts of things. But we're going digital now, so we don't even have paper business cards anymore. Uh huh. I'm still a dinosaur. Uh, we were talking about that <laughs> earlier. I know you were a rising star, but, my star, I think, uh, burst about 40 years ago, and I just sort of <laughs> going through the oh, galaxy. I that, Brad, huh? <laughs> uh, so we had Megan Sullivan on with the Vermont Chamber, uh, and Megan's yeah. talking about all the important things, the uh, initiatives of of the chamber, and you know, vitality for businesses, and on and on and on, and really. The airport is such a critical piece of all of that as well, right? What, what, what do you, how do you fit into this whole world? Yeah, you're, you're 100% right. Uh, you know, the, the airport is a major economic hub and, and of course the largest transportation center and transportation hub in, in the whole region, not just Vermont, but, uh, upstate New York and, and upstate New Hampshire. Um, and uh, Megan is, is such an amazing partner uh, with the chamber as well as with Chris Kerrigan. And uh, she actually briefed us. I'm on the manufacturing council for the state because uh, that's another avenue of the, the airport is manufacturing and parts and all these businesses that contribute to a half a billion dollar a year economic impact to this region, half a billion dollar a year. Uh, so there's, there's just so many elements to the, to the ecosystem of, of our airport. And it, and I say our because it is all of ours, the listeners and, and everybody in, in the state and region that really contribute to that, uh, to that statistic. And we think about, um, people coming in, you know, tourists are coming in, they're, they're skiing, they're sailing, they're golfing, they're, you know, uh, hiking our beautiful mountains. Do you also are you are you like the trucks of the sky? Does a lot of product come into Vermont through through our airports? Oh my gosh, yes, it it really does, and and you're right because a lot of times when folks think about the the airport, we think commercial flights and uh, you know traveling families and and business travelers and and you name it, but we also have. Um, lots of uh, general aviation, and part of that includes cargo. Uh, if you certainly live in the local area, you see our FedEx plane, which is more often than not uh, very much always on time when it's arriving and departing uh, BTV. But we also uh, have UPS. Uh, they, they contract in and out of the airport. So we're talking about hundreds of thousands, if not millions of pounds of cargo uh, on an annual basis. And that, that also contributes to the economy, especially this time of year, the holiday season, uh, when those types of operations really kick off. Although really great to shop locally, but uh, again, a, a really great point of, of the impacts, not just for businesses, because that, you know, a lot of uh, businesses in the area uh, and beyond rely on this cargo operation, but also, uh, regular, uh, regular residential, uh, as you're shopping and as you're, um, uh, purchasing things online. Yeah. So it is supply chain for local businesses as well, obviously. 
That's right. That's right. That, uh, you know, a, a lot of stuff does come through truck um, in various capacities into the state of Vermont, but uh, there's a there's a pretty large cargo operation that flies into the airport and and across uh, the region, not just DTV, but across the region. Uh, but we certainly have uh, a large cargo carrier. We have, we have a daily 757, a Boeing 757, which is one of the largest regularly scheduled planes in and out of the airport. It's interesting because, you know, I don't go in and out of the airport a lot, but when I do, I really don't, I'm not quite aware of sort of the trucking world that leaves, comes in and leaves, but obviously it must be pretty vibrant. So you've organized that well, I guess, because I don't notice it much. Yeah, that's right. We, we really do strategize, um, on the road and, and in the airport, uh, those types of operations coming in and out to, so that it doesn't impact, and we have great partnerships with with FedEx and UPS um, to make sure that those those packages go to their sorting centers, and then and then off they go into their trucks. Um, uh, but it's it's a pretty very efficient operation. So the airport, like all Vermont businesses, you went through COVID. People weren't flying. Uh, you know, revenues were down, and now uh, you are seem to be one of the most vibrant airports ports in New England and are expanding uh, with with both terminal and planes. Can you help us with that? Yeah, we're, we're starting to see really us peak with not just passenger numbers, but also operational numbers like you're talking about. Uh, I'm happy to report. Actually, you're the first one to, to report this to uh, in our October numbers, we just completed uh, our October finalized audited numbers for number of passengers leaving BTV. Uh, we actually exceeded our our 10-year history uh, with just our October monthly number, and that includes a pre-pandemic 2019, the highest number prior to the, the pandemic, but we exceeded that number. So we're seeing more travelers, lots of opportunities to travel. Our revenues are increasing significantly. In fact, I was just briefed by our amazing director of finance, uh, Marie Friedman, and, and she just briefed me on one of our highest parking garage numbers as well, which is a significant source of revenue so that we can cover our expenses. And that was at 112% of our pre-pandemic numbers. So we're seeing great numbers, great increases in passenger outflow and that significant number of operations, which are which are landings and takeoffs. We're expecting around 120 to 130,000 landing and takeoffs uh, next year, next calendar year, and we're pretty close to that this year. Again, those are those are those are major numbers in our 15-year history, uh, and that all requires some expansion um, and and some opportunities to make sure we sustainably look at our future both on the runways and taxiways, but also certainly in the terminal. And, and I think, uh, I think that's what you're, you're hinting at. Yeah. And so, uh, we're December vacations coming up for the holidays. Uh, people are traveling, uh, two questions here. One, um, can you accommodate, uh, these big numbers that you're getting and are the costs, um, staying reasonable for flying? Yeah, good good questions. And I think from the physical space to answer that, can we accommodate those numbers? 
Yes, we, we can. We have uh, some contingencies in place to make sure that our operations are safe, are efficient, are sustainable, whether we're talking about the big cargo planes all the way to our commercial operation. And um, however, it, it's, it's a little cramped in our terminal, especially at some of our gates that see our highest passenger numbers, which is American and United Airlines. So we're looking at a, a future opportunity to make sure we replace some older infrastructure really to get elbow room and, and the best passenger experience possible without using operational funds to accomplish this build out. We're, we're looking at federally funded opportunities. And, and that's a really important piece for your second question. Not using operational funds allows us to reduce our rates and charges to the airlines. Uh, one, of the, one of the misconceptions out there is that we do have high – one of the misconceptions, I want to be clear, is that uh, folks think that we do have high number, high um, rates and charges numbers. We actually don't. We're actually working really, really hard to make sure our operational ex, uh, expenses are low our, and the charges that we charge our airlines are low so that we can offer uh, really competitive rates to get those airline tickets down. One of the most important uh, reasons to get those airport numbers down with our commercial operators is also competition. That's a, that's a really important piece. We want more airlines. We want that competition. We want the big airlines to offer those flights that we offer today to the major destinations so folks have opportunities to connect, but we also want competition so we can make sure we keep those those rates down for passenger tickets. Yeah, it certainly makes sense. We're talking with Nick Longo, Director of Aviation at the Patrick Leahy Burlington International Airport. Now, on construction, uh, Nick, are you finished on a project and about to start another one, or where are you at in, in that world? You, you just described the the essence of airports. We're finishing one project, we're starting the next. <laughs> okay, it's, it never ends, right? It, it never ends, and it's and it's all about those efficiencies, the sustainabilities, and, and of course the safety factors that we're constantly measuring. But uh, as far as our terminal goes, yes, we just uh, as many uh, travelers may have experienced over the last year, we just opened our brand new consolidated security checkpoint in our new upstairs area, which is a preparation for future phases of our terminal building. Uh, and we're right now almost 70% designed on the next phase of our building, which we're aptly naming Project Next. <laughs> uh, and that's on our north terminal. And that that does expand the space available mostly for American and United customers uh, up on the north side, closer to the air traffic control building. Uh, that we're expecting go, to go through permitting over the winter time, and uh, hopefully shovels in the ground will start in the late spring, uh, sometime over summer next year, with the help of all of our partners and, and of course, the Federal Aviation Administration, because uh, this this is a key 
component into our phased terminal project for Project Next. I love the name Project Next. There was no big marketing budget on that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, that was an amazing retreat with the leadership team to, to kind of dive into what what do we call it? Next. <laughs> Perfect. And my observation is you you've really been able to do projects where you separate them from the existing operating airport and then you can break yeah. down a wall or open a door and voila there's there's the new yeah. section is is that that's obviously a great strategy that that you've worked out but not an easy one i bet no not not an easy one but it's it's really important and and probably the most complex part of the projects is you know we have really smart um a smart team behind all of these projects from engineers, architects, internal staff, and our maintenance division to make sure we're, we're kind of checking off everything that we truly need as part of the project, but phasing it so that it doesn't interrupt our operations or at least minimally interrupts our operation is, is a critical component so that, like you said, we can, we can maintain our operations, continue our mission, uh, make sure that the passenger's experience is, is the best as, as it possibly can. I think we've all experienced if we've, if we've traveled and have the opportunity to travel, whether you're flying out of Leahy BTV or going to a major hub, you're going to see some construction walls, um, really around that entire country, uh, if not the world. And that's exactly what we do at our airport is make sure that uh, we build behind the scenes, less interruption, and then I love it. I love the words you used. Allah, we're open. <laughs> yeah, very nice. Now, what about airlines? You, you, uh, JetBlue uh, seemed to have phased out. Uh, they were a very popular airline, and then immediately you were able to announce a new one coming in. And is this part of sort of doing business in in the airline industry? Yeah, one of my one of my favorite jobs um, at, throughout my ten plus years at this airport is air service development. It's it's highly data centric, and and the the numbers behind these decisions, uh, of course, they're business decisions, um, really do tell a story. And JetBlue has been a wonderful twenty three year partner of Leahy BTV. And it is very unfortunate that we're losing them. They are, they are one of those, uh, what the industry refers as a low cost carrier, uh, especially 23 years ago when they came on, they had a very different, uh, mission and, and vision behind air travel. 23 years at Leahy BTV and I had an opportunity to go visit with Robin Hayes. He's the CEO of JetBlue. Um, to advocate, to ask, and and, lis- and listen to our business and uh, leisure travelers that have reached out to us um, over the since the month that we we announced. We hear you. We we hear everybody uh, calling and writing to us, and we're not going to stop advocating. Not just for additional New York service and competition, uh, but additional service across the board and. Very pleased with this new airline, Breeze Airways, which, by the way, the founder uh, was the original founder of JetBlue, uh, David Nealman. Uh, him and his company are really been fantastic in paving the way for 
you know, maybe a next generation of, of ultra-low-cost carriers into the Leahy BTV market. Um, and when I say this is data-centric, uh, I am very serious about the supply and demand of, of air travel and the, the consistency of purchasing tickets and, and of course, the, these businesses that rely on it. Uh, us at the airport, again, we're, we're going to keep advocating for additional service to get folks where they need to be. And I guess you never say never, right? Uh, with with JetBlue, did, did the CEO understand that there was a sentimental attraction to them, an emotional attraction, as well as their their good service? Yeah, and that is one of the reasons why I asked uh, to go down to New York City and visit with not just Rob and the CEO, but also his leadership team. I, I needed to understand uh, and I needed to share that sentimental value of BTV and, and the market here. Um, you know, JetBlue is going through some tough times right now. They're, they're looking at a merger with Spirit Airlines. There's some alliances that uh, are no longer in existence, specifically what's called the Northeast Alliance, which JetBlue had with American Airlines, uh, and some, some issues with air traffic control. So there's uh, as I've been referring to it, a, a, a really challenging um, air service dilemma in the United States right now. In Europe, there's a lot of low-cost carriers and competition out in Europe, but in the U.S., it's a it's a little bit different. And there's uh, there's of course our our major partners and our amazing partners with with uh, United and American and Delta Airlines, uh, but now we also have. Sun Country going to Minneapolis and Breeze. So this, this is really kind of the, the essence of the U.S. Uh, air service market is uh, you, ha- you have the big three, really the big four, and then you have some low-cost carriers that are really trying to make it work and compete, and that's exactly what JetBlue is doing. And, and I wish them all the best, but one of the reasons I went down there is to shake hands and make sure that they don't forget about Leahy BTV, and, and I assure the listeners uh, we had a very strong um, and respectful conversation to make sure that they remember BTV when when that merger goes through and and opportunities arise for them to come back. And I'm the kind of traveler that I'm attracted to price, of course. But if you mm-hmm. if you tempt me with a unique uh, bag of potato chips, then I, it pretty much seals the deal. <laughs> so uh, we all have our uh, right? passions. Just as important. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> We're running out of time, Nick, but obviously uh, kudos to all of you and your staff uh, with record, just record parking indicates that people are flying, 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 and uh, you're providing a service that they like and that they feel confident in. So we appreciate that, and we appreciate your updates. The, the theme, part of the theme of today's show is that it's Vermont's economy, and, and you're a big part of that, and we appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate it. And go to flybtv.com and, and book your next travel anytime. Uh, we're, we're looking forward to meeting you and, and hope you have a great experience out of the, the BTV airport. Great. Thanks for being with me, Nick. Uh, this is Brad Furlan, Vermont Viewpoint, WDEV uh, in Waterbury, Vermont. I will be back on Thursday. And thanks to you, the listeners and the advertisers. Uh, have a great day and uh, more coming up. 